you know, you think about self-control, and we're going to talk about self-control some more. You think about self-control, and there's probably no better example of self-control, a better visual aid for self-control than those soldiers who stand as part of the honor guard. You know what I'm talking about, the, those soldiers? Whether that's a, a soldier who will stand over the, over the coffin of one of his fallen comrades, whether it's the honor guard, the, the soldiers that guard the tomb of the unknown soldier, or even in England, uh, maybe you've been over there and maybe you've seen the changing of the guard. Have you seen the guards at Windsor Castle with their giant bear fur hats? Those guys are, are models of, of self-control. And every year, tourists show up and they, they get their picture taken with the guy guarding the castle and they'll try to make him laugh. They'll, they'll get in his face and see if they can get a reaction and they stand there perfectly still, perfectly self-controlled. That's, that's not just a, it's not just for decoration. The guys who get chosen for that job, they are the best of the best. They are the elite of, of, the, of the British forces, and they're, they're chosen, and it's an honor to do that. There's a TV program in England called The Specials, and it's one of those reality TV shows. It's called The Specials, and it follows a group of special needs adults who live in a, live in a group home, and, and among those uh, those people that live in that group home, there's, there's one gentleman named Sam. And Sam's, Sam's a character. Sam's a real character. He has Down syndrome. And, uh, and Sam's, Sam's just a wonderful guy. He's got a little brother. And Sam's little brother, Jack, his younger brother, Jack, is one of the guards at Windsor Castle. And, and as one of those guards, he had to train and train to be chosen, be among the elite to be chosen to guard Windsor Castle. Sam, I want to show you a video clip from the show Here's a scene of, of Sam visiting his brother Jack, seeing him for the first time guarding the castle. Take a moment and watch this. I'm going to Windsor Castle to see my younger brother Jack. He's busy guarding the Queen. Um, when, you, when you speak to your brother, yeah. you need to make sure that um, he won't be able to speak back to you. Okay. okay and he'll stand very, very still. Okay. When he finishes, when he comes off and finishes his work for today, you can have a chat with him and a cup of tea. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in here, are there any um, fighting battles? In here at the moment? Yeah. Well, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no fighting battles here. No, no more fighting Just battles. Just looking very smart. Yeah. My brother joined the army a year ago. But this is the first time I'm seeing him in action. That is your brother. Hey. So like I said, you won't be able to talk if you go on to go stand for a photo. Go up there. Yeah, right, yeah, David. where all the guardsmen live, okay? In these beds. There's your brother down there. Jack! <laughs> How's it going, mate? Mmm, did you like that? Yeah, I miss you. I miss you too. Isn't that great? What an amazing, what an amazing family. What an amazing scene. In that show, you know, in, in order to be part of the Queen's Guard, 
Jack had to go through a lot of training. A year earlier, without that training, he had no right to stand guard in front of the castle. No right to stand there. Really no ability to stand there. But over the course of the year, as he had had his endurance tested, as he had had his self-control tested and tried, he was allowed to stand there. And and I think you have to give Sam some credit too for self-control, don't you? You have to give Sam some credit for self-control. He followed the instructions. He knew his brother would not be allowed to talk to them until they got back to the barracks. Once back in the barracks, they can let loose. They can embrace. And you can see the joy in that moment. That that is also self-control. Self-control is setting aside what you want now so you can fall in love with something better. And that is an essential lesson in life. If you're going to get anywhere, anything worth having is worth waiting for, right? That requires self-control. And God not only calls us to self-control, He blesses self-control and He equips us for self-control. We're going to look at a little passage today in the letter to Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11-14. through 14, Paul's letter to his friend Titus. Chapter 2, 11-14. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we got those blue Bibles in front of you. It's page 998 in those blue Bibles. And Paul begins by telling Titus in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. And, and at that moment, we realize we got to stop for just a second. We really ought to stop because we're coming in to this passage in, mid, in mid-conversation. Did you notice that? For the grace of God has appeared. There's a for right there at the beginning. We don't know what that for is there for. So we need to go back and find out what for that for is there for. Right? That makes sense, right? Why is there a for in the beginning of this passage, at the beginning of this verse? Well, if you went back to verses 1-10, through Paul is telling Titus that he needs to be teaching people about sound doctrine. He needs to be teaching people about godly living. And in fact, if you read that passage, that passage verses, verses uh, 1 through 10, in, in verses 2 through 6, the word self control appears three times. That sounds pretty important, but it also, it also sounds hard. Self-control is is hard. And and so how are we supposed to do this on our own? We're not strong enough. And that's that's the good news, though. That's the good news we find in verses 11 through 14. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us and to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. What Paul desperately wants Titus to pass on to his congregation and what Paul desperately wants us to see in this passage is that now, as believers, as Christians, as people who have put their hope in Jesus Christ, there is a new reality about your life. There's a new reality about your life. Something about you has changed. Something in your very makeup. Something in your very DNA. You're not the same person you used to be before Christ came into your life. Kind of like Jack in that, <clears throat> in that scene. Before his training... Before his training, he was a different person. After his training, 
He can't allow himself to just wrap his brother in his arms like he wanted to until he's off duty. And in the same way, Paul says there is a new reality to your life. Verse 11 again, for the grace of God has appeared. That word appeared, some of you would recognize it. It's where we get the word epiphany from. We talk about epiphany during Christmas, but epiphany literally means the sun's come out. It's a new day. A new day has dawned. The darkness is gone. We've experienced an epiphany. A new day has come and we can't go back to the way we were before. And in that new day, you can't look at the world the way you used to look at it. You can't look at the world the way it was when it was all dark for you. You have to see things very differently. Do you remember, do you remember those magic eye puzzles? Back in the 90s, we saw a lot of those. They're big posters with the squiggly lines. And if you stood there and looked at the squiggly lines for long enough, if you crossed your eyes just right and, and looked through the picture, all of a sudden something would pop out. There was a, one of them had a dolphin on it, I remember. And there was another one with a, with a dinosaur. And all of a sudden you'd see that, like, there it is. And once you saw it, once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it. It would always be there. You would always be able to see it again. And he's saying the same thing about the new day that has dawned for us in Christ. Once you've seen this, you can't unsee it. He says that's the reality of Christ in your world, Christ in your life, Christ in your heart. He changes the way you see the world. You're never going to look at it the way you used to. There are people in our lives who don't get that. There are people in our lives who they just, they just don't understand that. And, and, and they, they, they wonder what, what you're doing here. They wonder why you're, why, you're doing, what, why you're coming to church. They don't understand what Jesus has to offer. They wonder why you're wasting your weekends. Why are you wasting your Sunday mornings going to church? Why, why are you bothering to put pants on on Sunday morning for crying out loud? They want to know why you're, why you're wasting your time here. And they'll say things to you like, that's great for you, but it's not for me. Uh, that's great that it means something to you, but it's not for me. It's not, not for me. Did you notice verse 11? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That sunrise, that epiphany is there for them also. It, it might just be that someone needs to show them the light. Someone needs to be the city on the hillside that can't be hidden. Someone needs to be the lamp on the stand that Jesus says gives light to the whole house. Someone needs to show them the light. They need to see the light of Christ in us. fact is, we've got people in our lives who have darkness inside of them. We've got people in our lives who have the darkness of, of sin and addiction, the darkness of, of lives of, of shame and failure, and, and they don't need us just simply saying, grace can save you. Great Grace can get you to heaven. They, they need to know that there is grace for here and now, that they don't need to be trapped in the darkness of their lives. They need to see the kind of grace and hope in us. They need to see us living that out. We need to understand that grace doesn't just save us, but the reality of the reality of grace calls us to a new life, to, to a new way of living. We talk a lot about grace. We sing about grace, don't we? We will talk about saving grace. We'll sing about amazing grace. But one of the reasons why grace is amazing is it does more than just save us. When, when grace gets hold of you, it, it changes you. It doesn't leave you the same. Max Lucado said, Max Lucado said, said, God's grace means that God loves me just the way that I am, but he loves, he loves me too much to let me stay that way. 
Grace means God loves me just the way that I am, but He loves me too much to let me stay that way. So the grace of God has appeared. What does it do? Verse 12 says, it has appeared training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Training us to renounce ungodliness. I always like the way the NIV put it. Some of you have got NIV Bibles, New International Versions. The NIV put it this way, the grace of God has appeared teaching us to say no. (laughs) Teaching us to say no to sin. I always liked the way that was worded and kind of the thought of that. Do you remember remember back in the, I think it was in the 80s, we had the big Just Say No campaign. Do you remember Just Say No? Maybe you were taught that when you were in school. Just say no to drugs. That's what they taught us. All you got to do is say no. Just say no. And that's, that's great if you've never taken drugs, right? I mean, that, you can tell a kid who has never taken drugs. You can tell a kid who's not addicted to anything. You can say, just say no. But once addiction takes over, that drug's a part of you. That, that alcohol is a part of you. It's part of your makeup. It's part of who you are. And you can't just say no to alcohol. You can't just say no to drugs if you're addicted. You have to be taught to say no. You have to be taught how to, how to say no. And Paul's saying the same thing is true about sin and us. We've been addicted to sin. We've been addicted to this lifestyle. We've been addicted to seeing the world this way. And we need to be taught to say no. Paul's saying this, is your, this was your reality. You were addicted to sin. You were addicted to ungodliness and, and worldly passions. Ungodliness and worldly passions. It sounds a little familiar. You know, before in Galatians 5, before Paul gives us the, the fruit of the Spirit, he lists what he calls the works of the flesh. Before the fruit of the Spirit, he, he talks about their antithesis, the other side, and, and he calls that the works of the flesh. And he says that the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, the works of the flesh are obvious. You recognize them when you see them. There's no way you can take the works of the flesh and dress them up and clean them up and make them look holy because they are not holy. He says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. By the way, when you read the word sorcery, you're probably thinking wizards and you know wands and Harry Potter and stuff. No, the word sorcery in Greek... It's the word pharmarchia. It's where we get pharmacy from. He's talking about drugs. He's talking about people who are addicted. He's talking about addictions right there. He says sorceries, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. He gets tired of even listing them. He says, and things like these. If grace has taken a hold of us, If grace has got us in its grips, we cannot allow the works of the flesh to define who we are. If our relationships are marked by impurity, if our relationships are marked by us just not getting along with each other, and we're clinging to God's grace, we've got a problem. If we're known for fits of anger and strife and jealousy and envy, we've got a problem. Grace should be training us for a different life. We should have different priorities. And he says that this happens in verse 12. He says this happens in this present age, today, right now. Something different should be in us because grace has appeared. We can't look at the world the same way. We can't act the same. Earlier, we, we sang a song. Uh, we sang the song, America the Beautiful. And I don't know about you, 
but I think I've been singing America the Beautiful since I was in first grade, and Mildred Ellison would make us sing that song just about every day when we'd start class. Uh, I think that's probably when I first started singing America the Beautiful. Did you notice one of the lines in America the Beautiful? There's a line in there that says, America, America, God mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control. Thy liberty in law. It's not just a song. You realize that's a prayer, right? That's a prayer for our country. That's a prayer for us. And the author of that song recognized that all of this talk of freedom and all of this talk of liberty could easily cause us to lose sight of the virtues that we've been called to by God. It, we could easily lose sight of the virtuous living that, that we're supposed to have, that's supposed to be a part of who we are. And so he made that song into a prayer. Confirm thy soul with self-control. Show who you belong to by your self-control. The virtues we should live by. The, the faith we should live for. His song is a, is a prayer. A prayer for us to live lives of self-control. To confirm who it is we belong to. What we live for. And I believe that's such a key to understanding self-control. You see, self-control always looks ahead. It always looks ahead to something better. I said earlier, self-control is setting aside what you want now so you can fall in love with something better. And that something better is not just heaven. That something better isn't just salvation. It isn't even just forgiveness. That something better is, is Jesus. It's His presence in your life. It's His Spirit guiding you. It's the fruit of His Spirit growing in you. And that one day, your devotion to Him will culminate in His return for you. And on that day, that will be your blessed hope. Verse 12 says, we live upright and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13 says, as we wait, waiting for our blessed hope. You see, self-control is never about today. It always looks ahead to something better. That's always true of self-control. Self-control always looks ahead to something better. Whether that's you dieting or exercising, you're looking ahead to something better when you're dieting and exercising, right? You want to fit into those clothes that somehow shrunk in the back of your closet over the course of the year. You, you want to be healthier. You don't want to sweat while you're eating. You, know? you want to maybe get, get a little healthier. And so self-control looks ahead to something better. If, you, if you're trying to quit smoking, self-control looks ahead to something better. Not just that immediate hit of nicotine, but, but being able to breathe better. Being a, the promise of a longer and healthier life. Self-control looks ahead to something better. And that's also true of self-control when it comes to your devotion to Jesus. And it was true of the self-control that Jesus Himself showed for us. In that moment when He denied Himself, in that moment when He took up His cross and He died for you. He's, Paul writes in verse 14 of Jesus who gave Himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says of Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Him. You know, the joy that was set before Him was not sitting at the right hand of God. That's where He had been before. The joy that was set before Him was that you and I get to join Him there. 
The joy that was set before Him was that we would get to be with Him for, for all eternity. And the thought of eternity in heaven with you sent Jesus to the cross. That made His sacrifice, His self-control worth it. So what, so what is it worth to us? Too many of us end up putting our hopes into just what we can have here and, and what we can have now. But you know, everything that we can have here is temporary, right? But every, everything we have here is temporary. One day, one day it's all going to be gone. I mean, set aside for a moment the idea that Jesus is coming back someday. Set aside for a moment that everything around us is going to be destroyed, that it's all going to be burned up as, as Peter tells us. And just simply look at life itself. How many years do we really have to live for ourselves? And in the end, what, what do we get to show for it? it? It's all temporary. It's all just frustrating. Anything you live for today will someday be gone. It will someday be taken from you. Self-control is setting aside what you want now so you can fall in love with something better. It's saying there is something better for me in the future. There's something better for me out there. There is something better for my soul. <clears throat> and the waiting is just temporary, but the gift of God's grace is eternal. And He is worthy. He is worthy of my self-control. The very last verse of this chapter here, chapter 2. After Paul has written all of this stuff to Titus, all these instructions. Titus was the preacher at a, at a church on the island of Crete. So he's a preacher on this island of Crete. And so Paul's been telling him, here's what you got to teach people. Here's what you got to tell them. And after he gets all, of that, all through all that, he says in verse 15, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with authority, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. The call to self-control, it's not just a good idea. It's not just another option for Christians. It is the Christian life. It is the Christian message. And no one should disregard it. And no one should disregard the promise or the hope that comes with it. If you've been, if you've been wrapped up in just the things that you can run after today, you have to realize those things are temporary and I promise you, you will spend your entire life frustrated. Living a life, live the life that Jesus has called you to today. Fall in love with something better than what this world has to offer. Fall in love with, with Jesus. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, so often we are we're aware of Your grace. And we're aware of our own unworthiness. We come to You today seeking the fruit of self-control in our lives and seeking the presence of Your Spirit in the battle over our own passions and our own lusts and, and our ungodliness. And Lord, we, we don't ask this with any thought of making ourselves worthy of Your grace. We ask this because godliness is the proper response to Your grace. You have given so much. Grant us the strength to truly give ourselves back to You. To Your glory, create us as a, as a pure people ready to do Your good works. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.